Leadership New Hampshire is celebrating 30 years of educating New Hampshire's leaders about the state they live in to encourage more civic engagement. Today, we talk with Steve Reno, Leadership New Hampshire's Executive Director, about what it takes to encourage civil discourse in an increasingly uncivilized world. I'm Matt Mowry. I'm Nathan Carroll, and welcome to BizCast NH. particularly excited about today's guest. Yes, I mean, you are part of the I'm current in the class thick of it, baby. of Leadership New Hampshire. Yeah. I'm so jealous. I know. I, as, <laughs> as an alum, and it's been many, many years since I was part of LNA, uh, mm-hmm. in my LNH class, um, you know, there's nothing like that experience. And um, I am so grateful I had it, but I'm always so jealous of the current class because I know what they're going through, and that experience that you're having just in terms of learning and bonding. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, both of those things are the big, obviously, the big takeaways. Um, And most recent as to when we're recording, we had a a session in November, um, of course, around education, which is such a deep and multifaceted issue. And um, it's really, I mean, you know, I went into this thinking, okay, yeah, there's all of these issues and how will we get into them and dig into them and all that. But the the piece that you said in the in the preview um, about civil discourse, that is the phrase that keeps coming up mm-hmm. and, you know, pushing ourselves to be civil and have the discourse, um, but that these issues are so, so um, complex. Yes. You know, and, and so we're just scratching the surface of it. But again, if we're able to have civil discourse around things that we may not have be fully informed about, we're probably going to be better off. So what's been your biggest aha moment so far? Because there's Um, many of them when you go through this. Well, I think for me so far, it's been... um, well, I'll speak to I'll speak to the um, the most recent session again uh, at time of recording, but uh, w- around education and and hearing about you know some some uh, ideas and some things that are moving through uh, the at the state level. It's just well, I, I it's there's so much right, and mm-hmm. it's so intricate. Um, but for me, and I think I said this just to Steve to sort of wrap up the session last time is that it really, really is about listening and, and, and learning and, and understanding. I remember having a reaction, this sort of guttural reaction when listening to somebody, uh, I think they were talking about having grade levels go away. And of course there's a lot more to that. So our listeners shouldn't gasp and wonder what's happening in the world. Um, but I went, oh, uh. But then they, the the idea cultivated a little bit more, and it was around kids that are at different levels and different subjects and different, you know, and things like that. So I said to myself, wait a minute, that's my kid. That's the future right there that we are learning about, planning for, that others are working toward, right? Um, and so it really is being, I mean, the best human being, the best business person, the best dad, the best adult that I can be to be a really active civil listener, but then to be able to engage mm. on the other side of it, you know, cause it's so important. It's it so is. important cause everything is so darn complex and there's so much to learn and to know. And if we want to change the world, we've got to just, we just have to sometimes just listen. 
you know, and not be a first talker. <laughs> exactly. So and anyway. I think that's one of the things I enjoyed most is that there is a, uh, it's a, a very purposeful process yes. that they go through yeah. to make sure that the classes are as diverse as they can be. Mm-hmm. And every meaning of that word. And right. so there's a diversity of thought. So you aren't in an echo chamber mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you are all listening to the same information and then having a discussion and seeing how various folks process that and their perspective on that. And it opens up your world just that bit more um, and challenges you. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, uh, in, it's something we definitely need, I think, some more of in the world today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, enough about our experiences. Enough about Let, ours. Let's get delved more into this. Yeah. Our guest this week is Steve Reno. Steve has served as Executive Director of Leadership New Hampshire since 2010. Prior to LNH, Steve served as Chancellor of the University System of New Hampshire. His career spans over 40 years in various roles of higher education, including as President of Southern Oregon University. He serves the community in several capacities, including on the board of New Hampshire Public Radio and is one of the founders of Stay Work Play. In 2009, Steve was honored by the Business and Industry Association with its Lifetime Achievement Award. Steve has a PhD and an MA from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a BA from St. John's College, California. Steve, it is so great to have you here. Um, our listeners know a thing or two about Leadership New Hampshire because we've gushed a few times especially when it was uh, said that I would be joining the class. Um, But I'm wondering if you can just sort of, as you have done many times uh, so far, just tell our listeners the story of how and why Leadership New Hampshire uh, was formed, came to be. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me, and it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm just realizing, listening to the two of you, that you are both perfect advertisements for Leadership New Hampshire. I mean, you don't need me (laughs) here at all. You've, You've said it all so very well. I think that uh, it's important to go back to the early 90s when uh, Judd Gregg was governor, mm-hmm. and uh, he established a commission that took the title uh, New Hampshire in the 21st Century. And it was an attempt to look into the then uh, coming century and to ask, what kind of state do we have? Mm. What kind of state do we envision having? And what must we do in order to realize that vision? Mm. And when you think about it, it was really quite a remarkable undertaking because it took place before we had the Internet. Mm -hmm. So there was no email. Uh, It took place at a time when there were multiple newspapers across the state of New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And it had a very large commission of people who set about their work over probably about 18 months, holding focus groups all around the state, asking those questions, Mm -hmm. uh, putting surveys in newspapers, and uh, asking people essentially to think about their state in uh, in this very specific way around these three questions. At the end of the effort, they assembled a report, which uh, I regard as really the sacred text, Mm -hmm. the founding text (laughs) of Leadership New Hampshire, and it's titled New Hampshire, My Responsibility. And in it, it does uh, provide answers to those questions. And specifically, one of the recommendations it makes for moving the state in the direction that the report envisions is that there be an organization established that would take rising leaders in the state, such as yourselves, 
and bring them together over a period of time in a cohort to look at the issues, the resources, the challenges, the history of our state in order to um, become better informed so that they would be better engaged. And so to sum all this up, the mission statement of Leadership New Hampshire is one that I love to parse, and that is it is building a community of informed and engaged leaders. Building is an effort that continues over a period of time. Mm -hmm. This is now our 30th year. Building a community. If you want, substitute the word network. Mm -hmm. Building a network. You, too, are part of that network. Mm -hmm. And now that network is over 1,100 people. Building a network of informed. You mentioned the complexity of issues facing uh, the state today. They are enormously complex. Mm. And one of the things that we try to do in Leadership New Hampshire, whether we're looking at education, health care, public safety and criminal justice, the environment, you name the topic, it is to top everyone up, so to speak, with regard to the uh, primary issues around that, that theme mm -hmm. in a given month, so that they will be better informed, so that they can be better engaged. And so that, in summary, is where Leadership New Hampshire comes from, and that's what it is still striving to do. And so uh, let's give our, our listeners a bit of a framework for, for LNH as well. How long a program is this as you come in? Because each year there's a new class uh, of participants. Um, so describe you know, how long the, the, the experience lasts for and how it's kind of broken down. Well, applications for the program begin typically around New Year's, and that's when we we start getting interest expressed by people, and um, and then we try to make all of our decisions with regard to the new class uh, at about March. the um, The program gets somewhere. Well, we've had we've had in the past a high of eighty applications in a given year. Uh, typically, they're probably run about forty to fifty for thirty two slots. And we've arrived at that size because anything bigger and it's hard to have that sense of a, of a, of a cohort. The program starts uh, with a welcome reception in the summertime. And then we have a two-day uh, retreat with an overnight in September, the beginning of September. And then over October, November, December, January, February, March, April, and into May, we have one program day each month. And each program day in a month has a theme. I mentioned education. Mm -hmm. uh, next month in December, it will be healthcare. So the program lasts about 11 months if you take everything into account. We wrap up the program in May with two days, one in the North Country specifically designed to help the members of the class become more familiar with that region of the state. And then the second is a roundup day, a kind of a summary of what have you learned this year? Where are you going to go with it? What are you going to do with it? So it's about an 11-month program uh, from start to finish. And so can you talk about maybe break down one or two of your days and the type of speakers and experiences that you bring participants through and why it's designed that way. Well, let's take the education day that we've we've just had. And, and again, the template that we try to fit on each program day is the three questions, are the three questions that were asked by the original report. 
What kind of state do we have with regard to education? What kind of state would we envision with regard to education? Mm. And then what can be done? And so if you take that, that model, first of all, we have to recognize that everyone who is in that class comes to that class on that particular day with some experience of education, <laughs> okay? It may be that they had a wonderful experience, and that's what stands out. It may be that they had something that wasn't pleasant, and that stands out. It can be that they have children in school, or it could be that they work in education, or it can be that they have been following some of the culture war discussions that are going on with regard to education, and they have a particular opinion about that. Or it may be that they're on a school board, for example. So when we begin thinking about a program day, we have to recognize that everybody is already bringing something to the program day. So we try to set that first stage then by having speakers come in who can give an overview that will fill in the gaps where those are needed, but reaffirm things where people know that already. And so we started off the program day um, on education with two people coming in and talking about K through 12 education. What's going on in the state of New Hampshire right now? Followed by two people talking about post-secondary education. Similar question, what's going on right now? Prior to the program day, however, we asked people to do some homework. So in this particular case, we asked people to go out and interview a teacher, a school administrator, someone perhaps who's on a school board, um, and find out what the world looks like to them right now, as well as to do some reading beforehand. So again, the class comes together already with some homework assignment, some common experience. Now they've had a sort of a topping up from some first speakers. And then we move into what we call conversation tables. And this is where we have groups of the class, maybe six or seven at a time, simply sit and talk with one another about what do I bring, what do I bring to this program day? Um, in some cases, it may be, here are my priorities, uh, here are my concerns, mm. here are things that I'm working on. It's a, it's a sharing, a bringing together of that. Then we roll into, after a break, a second phase of the program day where we talk about what could there be? And this is where the what-ifing comes in. And again, most people have some ideas of what could be better. First of all, we need to support teachers better is a good example. We need to pay teachers better. We, better, we should better support higher education, for example. We should build bridges between higher education and the communities that their graduates will go into or the businesses they will serve. All of these kinds of things. And in some cases, um, as, as you have mentioned, Nathan, um, some ideas about how school could be differently structured, how real-world experience could be given academic credit, mm. how people can do internships as a way of preparing uh, for, uh, for graduation. And then the class goes back into conversation tables and talks about that. They chew on them. The kinds of conversation that maybe an individual in the class would have with with her or his parent or family when they come home, um, they have that conversation there. You know, what did you make of that? What do you think about that idea? Does that sound too far-fetched? And then we bring the day to a conclusion by giving them resources. 
If you are interested in school funding, here's an organization that's working on that. If you're looking at interested in school design, for example, the new standards for education in K through 12, here's a group that's working on that. If you are interested in working to help fund or better fund higher education, here's a group that's working on that. So the goal is that at the end of the day, the members of the class will be better informed, better engaged, and will have reached that place through an experience that, that brings them together in a cohort. Because at the end of the day, that is the network that they can best work through. Right, exactly. Um, and it's, it's important, too, to say that, um, as you said, you know, th- these are emerging leaders, people that are leaders in the state. It's not leadership training, per se, in that kind of conventional sense. It is obviously giving leaders new tools in their toolbox, however. so um, Exactly. In fact, yeah. Nathan, what we say is Leadership New Hampshire is not a le- leadership training program. It is an education program for leaders. <laughs> I like that. I and like maybe that. I would add an education and empowering program. Absolutely. We'll be right back. McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. All right, we're back with Steve Reno, Executive Director of Leadership New Hampshire. One of the things I I really appreciate during Leadership New Hampshire is that it forces you for a day to put the outside world aside, work, everything else that's pressured on you, and actually have a chance to breathe and focus on an issue that is affecting either your life, your community, but an important issue to New Hampshire. And to do so in a room full of other engaged people that bring different perspectives. And it's not, we don't take enough time in our our daily lives to be able to do that, to just take that moment to have reflection on what's going on and what our role is in it. Can you talk about how perhaps even how that opportunity that Leadership New Hampshire provides is even more important in today's world in the political climate we find ourselves in and where civil discourse seems to be endangered. Well, you know, it's interesting, Matt. A number of people uh, have commented on the fact that having a Leadership New Hampshire program day is 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 such a special experience. It reminds them of the days when they were in college in a seminar. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I always ask, really, is that the case? And they'll say, yes. And then they'll pause and they'll go, and you know, when I think about it, I haven't had any of those kinds of experiences since college. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's one of the, the things that Leadership New Hampshire uh, does. And the second half of your question? Was, you know, in the political climate that we oh, yeah. find ourselves in, I mean, it where we are in echo chambers, where people are very much intolerant of views that, that aren't their own, um, where civil discourse has become very uncivilized online or even in person, um, where even at uh, leadership levels, we're seeing unprecedented levels of um, discourse that is far from productive. Why is it important to have a, a program like Leadership New Hampshire that 
perhaps provides a different venue for returning to civil discourse? Well, it's interesting because I've just written an article that is titled um, How We View Others. And I'm commenting on the fact that during the uh, campaign season, we are bombarded with ads. And ads uh, of one candidate will often feature a photograph of the opposing candidate Mm -hmm. that is a very unfavorable shot. Mm -hmm. The person is grimacing or some terrible picture, and it's black and white. Whereas the favorite candidate is smiling and cheerful, and it's in color. And the suggestion there is that this is the one you can trust. This is the friendly one. This is the company. This person you want to put aside. You don't want to trust them. (laughs) And What's interesting to me is that this perception of candidates that is presented in the ads kind of seeps into our own behavior. And we begin to think of those who support that other candidate in similar vein. And somehow we imagine that they are less than we are. They're not quite like we are because, of course, if they were, then they would be voting for our candidate. Mm. So when you begin to operate in an environment where a fellow American is an other in in a sense that makes them very different from you, then it seems to me we're in an environment where it's very difficult to work together for the common good. How many times have we been in a situation, maybe a social gathering or something like that, and we suddenly realize that the person we have just met has a very, very different political outlook than ours. It is so very easy for us to just slip around that obstacle (laughs) and talk about the weather Mm -hmm. or maybe go look for someone else to chat with instead of sitting down with that person and trying to get over that. explain, Explain, for example, that you don't know much about the other candidate. Could they maybe tell you about this person and why they think this person is, is, is the right one for the job? That, to me, is taking that initial risky step over what you perceive to be difference between yourself and the other and begin to have a civil discourse. Because at the end of the day, you cannot have effective civic engagement unless you have been able to have civil discourse. And why is that important, Matt? It's because we are Americans and this is our country and we have to work together to make it better. It's not perfect, but we it won't move in that direction unless we can talk to one another. But if we're simply shouting, or worse, mm. then we're dead in the water. Right, right. Um, I wanna shift gears for a moment because Uh, And I typically will ask this question toward the end, but I really want to know um, where you grew up, what it was like growing up for you. Um, And then I want to kind of dive into once we, once we hear your, that story, a little bit of your drive for continuous learning and teaching, because that's clearly, uh, you know, part of you, but um, who were you as a, you know, as a young person growing up and where, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Oxnard, California, which ah. is just south of Santa Barbara. I'm a third-generation native Californian. My family uh, settled in that area back in the late 1800s. I grew up in a small town, uh, a very Catholic 
uh, community where I was, and so I went to parochial schools, grammar school and high school, and um, was uh, groomed by the by the by the clergy. Mm-hmm. And so it probably wasn't a surprise to too many people that uh, after I finished high school, I went into the seminary to study to be a priest. Oh, and uh, that was an eight-year program. And after five years, I discovered that I really didn't want to lead a celibate life. <laughs> and so I, I left and went on and uh, did graduate work and <clears throat> got a PhD in world religion. And that took me to a number of different teaching positions uh, in the UK and, uh, and here in the United States. So education and a concern for community have really gone hand in hand over, over my life. Hmm. And... Um, I think I probably got my first sense of teaching uh, as a uh, as a, a, a young a young man teaching catechism class, what they call CCD sure, yeah. class, and, and realized that I really enjoyed trying to figure out how to explain things to people. And uh, then, of course, as a graduate student, I was a teaching assistant, and I loved that. And so that just carried on. And uh, you know, as an old professor, and you probably see it, Nathan, and in the way I manage a leadership New Hampshire program, uh, it, it's 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 in the DNA. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 where I came from, and that's who I am. Nice, thank you for that. A little background. <laughs> so, what brought you to New Hampshire, and why um, you have had a n- number of leadership roles here in New Hampshire, and at the culmination, which you could have moved on to any number of things, and yet you've remained committed here to the Granite State. What brought you here, but what's kept you here? Well, I think that uh, an important factor in this uh, whole equation is that I, I married a Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> I married a lady from the Boston area, and uh, I had uh, I'd been to Boston once in 1965, uh, but uh, I... Uh, uh, didn't really know the area all that much, and of course, when I met my wife, uh, that 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 all changed. I um, was at the time I was president of Southern Oregon University, and I in uh, in, in late 1990s, and I received a, uh, an invitation to come and be considered for the role of chancellor of the university system of New Hampshire. Now we had lived in Maine uh, for a while, so I knew I knew something about New Hampshire. Uh, And I came and took the job in in 2000. And the truth is, I have fallen in love with this state. Uh, It is, uh, it's a state where civil discourse and political engagement, civic engagement is alive and well. (laughs) And I I love it. I really do. And so at the end of of what I consider to be an appropriate length of time to serve as chancellor, Um, I was approached by the Board of Leadership New Hampshire, and in particular a couple of alums who said, Steve, we think we've got the job for you. And uh, so I applied to be executive director, and now 12 years later, here I am. And I'm here because, again, uh, education and a commitment to the community is in my DNA. And uh, I love this state, and here we are. There we are. we obviously have touched on the fact that you know the issues facing facing New Hampshire and the nation are complex, and I'm curious. Um, and you know, you don't you won't have to pick a, a favorite day, for example, of leadership New Hampshire. But um, what issues do you feel most passionate about uh, that may be covered through the cohort? 
You know, Nathan, that's going to be the hardest question for me to answer <laughs> because they all are. Mm. And, um, you know, looking at these issues one a month kind of gives the false impression that they're not connected, whereas they are. Oh, very much And so. I think yeah. Matt would agree from having gone through the whole program, and I think you will agree going uh, further along in the program, you will see that um, what happens in education has an effect on health care. Mm-hmm. What happens in health care has an effect on education. And what happens in both of those has a significant impact in politics mm-hmm. and in public policy. And those in turn have a significant impact on public safety and criminal justice. And so each of these is is interconnected. So it would be very hard for me to say, this is the one. Mm. But I will say this, and I quoted Diogenes at the beginning of our education <laughs> yes. day, and that is, the foundation of the state is the education of its youth. Mm. I would expand that and say it's the education of its people because it expands to all to all age levels. But what you know, and I'm not just talking about facts, but what you know of life, what you know of other people and the worlds that they inhabit and the challenges that other people face that are different from your own, that's education too, mm-hmm. and that prepares you better to interact with others for the societal good. So it's been 30 years, 1,100 graduates. What, in your perspective, has been the impact of Leadership New Hampshire on the state? And is it meeting the mission that it set out for all those years ago? The impact was illustrated for me so vividly about four weeks ago when we had our 30th anniversary celebration and we had about 150 people gathered at the Bedford Village Inn. And as I stood there and looked out at that group, I could see people who are making a difference in our state all around the room. And I also know that I can pick up the phone and call any one of those people. And after a sort of initial banter, chit-chat here and there, they'll say, Steve, what can I do for you? And if I say, well, you know, there's this project going on, and you have a certain kind of expertise that would really fit that. May I make a connection for you here? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> and so it's that network that has been created that makes it easy for people to connect with others to get good work done. Now, there are times when people will say, you know, to the class, and maybe it'll happen this year, Nathan, <laughs> someone will say, I'm going to run for public office next time. And it's fun to watch that happen. It's fun to listen to them talk about why they want to do it. But it's even more enjoyable to watch the reaction of the others in the class who will say, hey, I'll join your campaign. I'll give you a hand, and so on. So 
is if you measure Leadership New Hampshire by just one metric, how many people have run for public office? We'll have that answer fairly soon when we finish tabulating our survey. But it's very impressive, just the list I've looked over. People running from everything from school board all the way up to running for Congress. And the range of people who have served on boards of, of uh, nonprofits is huge. It's immense. And when you look at the written responses that they give for why they do that, the common theme is, I feel I'm giving back to the community. And so as far as Leadership New Hampshire being a success, by those metrics, I think it is. What keeps you engaged in it? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> it's the people, my friend. It's the people and the need. Oh, my goodness. One of the most gratifying things uh, the other day was an alum wrote me and said, you know, just watching the news and reading the newspapers, I realize Leadership New Hampshire or something like it, Leadership New Hampshire or something like it, is needed more today than any time I can think. Mm -hmm. That keeps me engaged. Now, Leadership New Hampshire is the sole statewide entity yes. um, that, that offers these kind sure. of services. But there's also regional ones oh, that absolutely. have popped up here and there. What kind of interactions do you have with those, if any? And why is it important that people also have these opportunities within uh, to learn within their region? Well, it's very interesting, the relationship between uh, Leadership New Hampshire and the regional programs. And they are wonderful programs. Mm. They really are. But as they are, as you say, Matt, they are more concentrated on a region. For example, interestingly enough, our current associate director, who lives in Peterborough, today is going through Leadership Monadnock. Now, what happens, and this is very interesting, oftentimes someone will go through a regional leadership program, say Leadership Greater Manchester or Greater Nashua or uh, Lakes Region or whatever, and they will then say, you know, I really think I'd like to get into the statewide program. And so those regional programs sometimes serve as kind of a, a feeder, if you will, mm -hmm. to Leadership New Hampshire. But increasingly, we're seeing it work the other way as well. Someone will go through the Leadership New Hampshire program, and they will say, well, you know, I really want to know more about the Seacoast. Ah. And so I'm going to do the Seacoast version. Uh -huh. So there's that relationship. The other relationship is between the directors of these regional programs and ourselves in Leadership New Hampshire, and that is we regularly stay in touch. We talk about issues. We talk about how are you doing things. And um, every once in a while, we physically get together and compare notes. So it's a collaborative arrangement. Each of those programs is independent, but we cooperate. Nice. You, um, you mentioned your associate director earlier. Um, so let's take just a few minutes to talk about sort of the, the team that is Leadership New Hampshire as well, the two wonderful women that work with you and, um, and the board. And they're those, the roles of those members of the team, as it were. Well, the associate director is Mandy Sliver, who is uh, a resident of Peterborough and also uh, the town treasurer of Peterborough. And Mandy is a graduate of Leadership New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Allison Murphy is our program director. Uh, Allison handles a lot of the logistics of program day, the arrangements of where we are meeting and those kinds of things. Um, Mandy is uh, works with me more directly in programming and developing the um, 
the uh, the programs for our various days, mm-hmm. as well as um, managing uh, our leadership, uh, private leadership, uh, social media platform, mm-hmm. LNH Connects, uh, as well as working with our alums, and. Um, and that my responsibility is overall administration of the program, sure. planning of the program, fundraising for the program, uh, collaboration with um, speakers and other organizations. Mm. We have a board of currently 18 uh, trustees, and the trustees are all alums of Leadership New Hampshire. In nice. fact, that's a requirement, that they be alums of Leadership New Hampshire. Nice. And the work of the committee, uh, the board rather, is uh, is divvied out to committees. We have an executive committee made up of the chair, the vice chair, the treasurer, and the secretary. And then we have standing committees, such as a finance committee, mm. a development committee, a program committee. And the committee, the selection committee. And the selection committee is the group of people who once a year meet and choose from the applications we have, the candidates for the new program. And that's a very, very important, critical Mm -hmm. role. And I might take a minute and just explain that candidates who apply to Leadership New Hampshire go online, complete a form, as Mm -hmm. you know, Nathan. They write some essays that gives us a sense of what they're interested in and what they've accomplished. They send us that. They send us a resume. They send us some letters of, of reference. That is all gathered together in an application portfolio. Then we set up an interview. So they have an hour-long interview with two alums of Leadership New Hampshire. And those alums summarize that interview in notes. That goes into the pile. And that packet then joins the others from all of the other candidates and all of the other interviewers and goes to the selection committee. And that's where they choose the class. Looking for, as Matt said earlier in the program, diversity. Mm-hmm. Diversity of geography, diversity of pro, of, of um, professions or occupations, diversity of political views, as best we can discern those from the materials mm. that, we, that we receive. Minority, cultural, ethnic diversities. We really want the program to be diverse in the fullest sense possible because it's through diversity that we learn. Absolutely. And I can say, especially for the best class ever, class of 2023. <laughs> I was just that, waiting for one of you to talk that in. <laughs> that it is absolutely a diverse group. It's really, it's an amazing group. Again, just of all of, all of those points, uh, geography, dem- demography, and, and otherwise, um, it's it's really, you know, it's a wonderful place to, to sort of listen or learn and, and learn as it, as it were. So, um Matt's so, got another one. He's full of them today. I, I love am. that. What yeah, he's. I, you're, yeah, I can tell your passion is oozing for for this, and and I'm loving it. So go go go. Well, uh, you know, one of the things too, I think, no matter how engaged you are in the state, you know, when you go through this program, you're being exposed to so many different speakers, uh, your classmates and their perspectives, um, different regions of the state, and such that there's always something like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm the editor of Business New Hampshire Magazine. I covered the state. And yeah, I learned so much. There's different aha moments that, that come across it. So even for yourself who organizes these days and the speakers and, and so forth, what are some aha moments you've had from, from going through this experience and, and, and leading it? That happens all the time. <laughs> Sometimes they're really big aha moments, and, mm-hmm. and, and other times they are, they are uh, they're smaller aha moments. 
I think that for me, a recent one was the recognition of what it is that those who are serving on school boards are having to endure in these very, very contentious times. And the toll that that takes on them and sometimes on their families and their relationship in the community. And, um, you know, for the most part, I think most of us go through our days relatively free of confrontations. But when you are doing something that is on a volunteer basis for the good of the community that you live in, such as serving on a school board, and yet you get hate speech, hate calls, threats, people shadowing you, that was an aha moment of of really the negative kind. The other are those moments that are the heroic moments where you see people who have done just extraordinary things in order to to help others. Um, You know, when I think about it, uh, I shall have been executive director of Leadership New Hampshire for almost half of its lifetime. And so roughly half of the alums are ones that I have worked with. I can't say that I haven't learned from every, I can say say that I have learned from every single one of the people in the program something. And so there are the big aha moments and then the smaller ones. And so 30 years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as you gear up for the next phase here. The next 30 years. Right. How do you make sure that Leadership New Hampshire not only continues to meet its mission, but evolves as the state evolves? Um, how, what are you looking for as you look to the future? How might this program evolve? And now that you have 1,100 base of, of uh, alumni, what are the thoughts around how do you engage that base further beyond their, their one-year experience? Well, I think you've answered the question right there. You engage that base in helping decide what leadership New Hampshire should be doing and if it needs to change in some way, how it should change. Mm. And that process is guided by the Board of Trustees, who are alums. I mean, they have a responsibility to ensure that leadership New Hampshire is doing what it's supposed to do. I often say, mission statement is an active verb. Mm -hmm. Mission statement is an active verb. People should be able to discern what the mission of an organization is by what it does. And if if an organization is building a community of informed and engaged leaders, then that mission statement is in action. And the responsibility of the trustees is to ensure that happens. Now, there will be new issues that come forward. Um, That's where you really want to stretch. What is technology going to do? What, what new forms will technology change, uh, bring, bring forward, and what will that cause us to do in reaction to it? Look at, look at the explosion of social media just in the time since I've been the executive director mm-hmm. and the facilities and the functionalities of social media that allow people to do things now that 10 years ago they weren't able to do. And what is the impact of that? And what do we then need to be thinking about in terms of 
educating people to be media responsive. What does it mean to be a parent in an environment like this? What does it mean to deliver education with changing technology? All of these kinds of things, and that's just one sliver of the future, all of these things are things that the board of trustees and the executive director and the membership of Leadership New Hampshire have to be thinking about and be in dialogue about to ensure the healthy future of the organization. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Steve, it's been a real pleasure to, to uh, dig in a little bit more, get to know you a little bit more, and have you um, share your views. And, and, uh, and we're very appreciative of that. Steve Reno is Executive Director of Leadership New Hampshire. It's been a pleasure. Gentlemen, many thanks. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.